0: Give some strategies for reaching our loved ones, reaching those people we care about this morning. What is the job of a coach? Say, Coach Sabin, what does he do? Well, he motivates, he challenges, he, he reminds everybody of the goal, and he encourages them. He tells them what their potential is, and he equips them, he teaches them uh, the skills they need to reach that potential, right? What does the Holy Spirit want to do this morning? The Holy Spirit wants to motivate us, motivate us to, uh, to follow that mandate of reaching others. He wants to challenge us with the goal of that. He wants to encourage us that we can do it. He wants to equip us. And more than something that the coach can't do to his team, he wants to empower us. The Holy Spirit wants to empower us. Before I get into that message, I want to give you a little medicine. You know, the Bible says laughter is good medicine. So we need a little medicine to make the message go down, right? You may have noticed I don't sound like I'm from Alabama. Uh, We spent 43 years in Oregon. And before that, I was raised in Minnesota. (laughs) That's where uh, we graduated from high school in Minnesota. Now, my dad was 97 years when he died just a few years ago, and he always told Oli and Lena jokes. Have you ever heard of Oli and Lena jokes? This is a Scandinavian thing. In Minnesota, we got lots of Scandinavians, and they talk like this. Well, at least my my uh, my Sunday school teachers did. They talk like this. So I'm going to tell you a story about Oli. Oli went in to uh, apply for a job at the local factory. He sat down, and, and the guy was, was pretty impressed with him. But he said, Oli, i got to ask you about these four year, this four-year gap in your employment history. Oli well, said, yeah, well, that's when I went to Yale. He said, wow, wow, you went to Yale? Well, I'm definitely going to hire you. You're hired. He said, yeah, thanks a lot. I really needed a job.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yale, yeah, yeah, job. Yeah. He did a jail job. He was in jail. Okay. We're going to turn this morning our, our passage. All right. That was medicine. Here you go. We're going to turn to Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. You know, Paul knew he needed God's help. And we all need God's help in order to reach the lost. So he started out his instruction there like this. He said, devote yourselves to prayer. That means saturate everything you do with prayer. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I'm going to focus on verse 5 and 6 this morning. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul uses a term there, outsiders, and in Greek it's exo, so it's just like we use as a prefix for exoskeleton or whatever. It's, it's a, a word that means on the outside of. Did you know that practically everyone on the planet, when Paul said that, was an outsider. They'd never heard of, of the gospel at all. In Paul's days, it was a brand new thing. But the mission that Paul had was, let's bring those outsiders. Let's be wise so that they can become part of God's family. Literally no one Had ever been raised in a Christian church. Nobody had ever gone to Sunday school. Nobody had ever attended a Christian seminary. Never read the New Testament because it hadn't been compiled yet. And so everything was completely foreign to all the people that he was trying to reach, that he wanted us to reach. But even today, a lot of the things that the church people take for granted are completely foreign to everyone who hasn't spent their entire life behind church everything in this building here in our congregation is new and it's weird to them if they haven't been a part of it now perhaps you're here today and uh, you're checking things out and you really kind of feel like a, a, an outsider well you know stick with us because we're going to learn how to how to help that help that uh, feeling be overcome we want you to know that when you're here, you are loved. Amen? You're loved. Now, that, now is when you can take out your handout, And we're going to look, we're going to fill that out as we go. Um, we need to realize that unless people are, are known, are felt, feeling our love, they know that we love them, they're going to feel like outsiders. Have you ever been anywhere where you felt like an outsider? Maybe, uh maybe when you come to Alabama and you're from Oregon (laughs) or maybe vice versa or maybe in a a different church or wherever it may be now when we first came to to Alabama and we were live in the Tallahassee area right now uh, we visited a lot of churches and even though I'm an ordained pastor I'd come in and felt like an outsider have you ever felt that like in a different church. We went to one church. This was during COVID. And we walked up to the door, a guy without saying a word to us. It wasn't assemblies. He, he took the thermometer, pointed it at our foreheads. Didn't open the door, didn't say boo. We went in the church. It was a good-sized church. No one said a thing to us. I want to tell you, we felt like outsiders. It's very important that we we treat people very, very well and make them feel welcome. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Number one on your handout is, why you know, we ask, why do they feel like outsiders? And number one on your handout is, they feel like they don't belong. They feel like they don't belong. You know, unless a lot of love is shown to people, they feel completely out of place. If they're not yet a Christ follower and they look around, they feel... Um, like they don't belong because they're not used to the things we're used to. They think we're strange, We're well, we're weird. What, what, what are some of the things that make them, make them think we're strange? Um, number two on your handout, they don't understand church culture. They don't understand it. Did you know the churches have their own little culture? We do. And it's different from what they're used to out out there. You know, we worship, we have prayer, we have the Bible, all these things that are important to us. They're not accustomed to that. Fellowship, communion, baptism, all those things. If they haven't been raised in a church, they don't know what it's like. It's just like it was in Paul's day. They didn't know any of those things. The things that, that we as churchgoers have been doing for years, the things we always do, are just strange and weird to them. And we need to not expect them to know what we know, right? And act like we act. You know, sometimes they're going to use salty language that we're not accustomed to using or or hearing, but we need to love them anyway and realize that that's a process that God's working on. They don't know why it should matter to them. Those are just words they've always used. We can expect to hear those kind of words from someone who has maybe a baby Christian or not a Christian at all yet. We just got to love people. Here's another thing. You know, sometimes it's church clothing. Sometimes people have a, a high standard for church clothing, and there might be people in that church that don't even have any clothes that nice. And so, I, I love to see a variety of, of clothing uh, options here. That's that's great because we want people to feel uh, welcomed and, and accepted. The point is, we got to accept people where they are. We can't avoid or impose religious rules on people and expect them to, to uh, already have a maturity about them. Number three on your handout is, is they don't understand how church people see things. You know that we see things differently than people outside of the, the body of Christ. We see things differently because we look at things through the lens of the Bible, through what the Bible has taught us about what's right and what's wrong, they don't know that. In fact, they don't even have a clue about the Bible in many cases. We live in a generation where biblical ignorance is just rampant. People don't know anything about the Bible. They've never been taught it. Back in the day, it was in schools. And now it's, it's uh, no way. There's no way. So we realize that they see things differently because they don't have a foundation of biblical learning. They don't understand the importance of God's word. Number four on your handout is they don't share the same values that we do. They don't share the same values we do. You know, many of the values are just common to humanity. Things like, don't steal my stuff, you know, um, Family, family is a good universal value. Um, peace is good. Don't kill people. Those are good common things that most cultures would embrace. But on the other hand, there's unique values that uh, Christian followers that that understand and follow the Word of God that they that they um, cling to. Things like loving your enemies. Things like forgiving people. Things like the need to take God's plan for sexuality in marriage and keeping it in that way so that it can prosper and be holy A pre-christians a perspective of right and wrong is shaped by the culture and the opinion of where they live day by day the things they watch on tv all of those things those things must be learned and so we have to have to embrace people where they're at and help them along amen Another big reason uh, people sometimes feel like they don't, they're outsiders is because they don't understand our language. Did you know that we have our own lingo too? There's things that we say that they might as well be a foreign language because they don't use those words. They're just thinking, what in the world are you talking about? So when we share our faith, we have to use words that they understand, man. So what are some of those words Uh, a very basic one is just the word saved. They don't even realize what the word saved is. They're thinking, saved from what? Saved to what? Why do I need saving? What is all this about? You know, without a basic knowledge of their need of Christ and the condition of their souls, they don't. They may not grasp what the meaning of the word saved is. And so we could phrase that in a way that they will understand without even using that word, or just explaining and unpacking that word by saying God wants to forgive all your heartbreaking mistakes. He wants to give you a fresh new start with a wonderful promise of eternity with him in heaven. So if we use the word saved, we need to, un- we need to unpack how we're going to use that and what it really means. My point is when we're sharing Jesus, we've got to skip the churchy words and make it real to people. Amen? You know, there's another word that we see. Uh, people hold signs up that say repent, and we say repent, but people don't know what that means. They've been hollered at that for years, repent, repent, but they don't really know what it means. The average person doesn't even know what repent means. In fact, some Christians don't even know what repent means. Many try a watered-down version of, of Christianity, and it doesn't work, which reminds me of another story. Um, there's a farmer, some of you may have heard this, a farmer had a big red barn, well, it used to be red, and he wanted to paint it, and he figured out that it was going to cost him a lot of money. He was going to have to get like 25 gallons of paint just to paint this ga- this barn. So he bought, he said, man, there's no way. So he bought five gallons of paint and said, "It's water-based paint, right? So he watered it down. So he painted the entire barn with watered-down paint, and of course, what happened? About not long later, it had all faded and fallen off and it didn't work. So he did it again. And he painted the whole barn, but he, he went from five gallons to ten gallons. He, he, he still painted that thing with watered down paint, and it happened again. Finally, he got so frustrated that he called out to the Lord Lord, why? Why does this keep failing on me? Why can't this paint stay on there? And the Lord replied, Repaint and thin no more. There's <laughs> a double dose of medicine on that one. Right? You know, it's important that we uh, use uh, concepts and people that are in their language, things they can understand. Instead of saying, My friend, you need to repent, how about something like, God loves you, He can change your heart and give you a new direction. Turn away from the destructive behavior that separate us from God's best for us. That's what repent is. It means to turn around and go away from your sin. It means to go the opposite direction. In fact, did you know the word Christian is so misused and abused that people don't even know what that means today? They, you can call yourself a Christian, and people have a preconceived notion that's been uh, put into their minds by the media. And so forth. It has it has uh, cultural and political overtones. When we all watch the news, they'll say this entire culture is a Christian culture, even though in reality there's hardly anybody there that's serving the Lord. As far as the uh, political overtones, you know, people t- tend to lump all things labeled as Christian into one camp as defined by the media. So the very word Christian can make a lot of people's blood boil in anger because of the way they conceive it, the way they perceive it. You know, there's also a lot of people who are calling themselves Christians who have long ago abandoned the Word of God and have made up their own version of Jesus. And that's, those are the kind of things that we face when we just say we're Christian. It really, at this point in history, it doesn't mean what we want it to mean. So we, how, do we, how do we fix that? Just to clarify, we can say, I'm a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. As revealed in the Bible. Not some doe-eyed hippie Jesus, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. We can use terms that can be understood. There's another one that's misused, and that's born again. People think, well boy, I felt born again after that trip to Hawaii or whatever it may be. That's a misuse of that word. Um, So we can describe the work of God in this and unpack what that really means by saying we have experienced a spiritual rebirth that our hearts have been renewed. Our hearts have been changed, forgiven. We have a brand new heart. Amen. That's what born again really means. So we put these terms together, you know, if we're not thinking in the way I'm trying to share with you, we might just say something like this, brother, you need to get saved, you need to repent and be born again so that you can be a Christian. Now, all of that is true, and all of that makes perfect sense to us, but if, if you're uh, someone who is not really familiar with all that, you're thinking, well, Saved, safe from what? Repent, what are you even talking about, right? Born again, why, and what does that even mean? So we need to use God's language, God's uh, way of unpacking those language for those who don't really understand. They're thinking this, why would I want to be one of those mean, spiteful Christians I see talked about on the TV? I heard they hate everybody, but that's not true, is it? It's not true. But that's the world's message. That's the world's message today. We need to keep in mind how people perceive the message we're trying to communicate. If we can express truth in a way that they can really grasp, then there's a good chance they're going to want what we want and have what we have. Because we're not hateful, ugly people who just hate everybody. We love everybody, and we want people to come to a a renewed life. We can say something like this. My friend, God loves you so much. He wants to forgive your failures and change your heart. He wants to give you a great life that will last forever and ever. Now, that's a clear and irresistible message. That's a message that rings true with people. There's some other words we like to use like righteousness and sanctification and atonement and justification. All those are great words, but they mean nothing to the average person. So we got to use language that everyone can truly grasp when we share because we don't want people to remain outsiders. We want them to be part of the family of God. And so we want to We want to be clear in our communication. Back to Colossians 4, verse 5. It says, we must be wise in dealing with outsiders. Now, one way to be wise is to just show interest in people's lives. If you can show interest in their lives, it's going to show them that you really care about them, that you really love them, and they're not just trying to convert them to some new religion. Nobody wants to feel like a notch in your belt as far as someone that you're that you're trying to win. They want to know that you care. You've all heard this, that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Amen? So we need to take, take interest in people's hurts. How do we do that? Well, we can show interest in things that they are interested in. Maybe they're kids. Maybe it's cars. Maybe it's football. Maybe it's schoolwork. Maybe it's fishing or cooking, whatever it is. There are ways to connect with people that help you to earn the right to be heard on a spiritual matters. They want to they want to see what's going on in your life before they can trust you. Being wise in dealing with outsiders Paul's also talking about not getting caught up in the sins of the people that you are trying to work with and that's another big deal. We need to care for them but not but recognize that the role of sinfulness has played in their life and in our life in the past, and not get drawn into that ourselves. Again, in verse five, four of verse four, chapter four, verse five, uh, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. If we're going to make the most of every opportunity, then we have to look for those divine opportunities, and when they come. We can't avoid them. We can't ignore them. Too often we're oblivious to the opportunities that we have to share the good news. We need to be mindful of that. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to show us those things so that we don't pass them by. Number six on your handout is we have to seize opportunities. We must seize opportunities. We can make the whole, most of every opportunity by seizing the opportunities as they come. We have to listen for the Holy Spirit's leading. Remember this, if you don't know, you don't have to know everything. What you, All you really have to know is your testimony. What has God done in your life? Just tell that truth. You know that nobody can argue with your own testimony. If God has done a work in you, and you share that work, they can't say, no, that didn't happen. They can't argue with that. Another thing about opportunities, number seven, is we must build opportunities. Build opportunities. This is back to what I was talking about, earning the right to be heard by building long-term relationships. There's relationships with your neighbors, your coworkers, people in your family, uh, whoever it may be, it could take months, it could take years, or even decades for, them to, for you to earn the right to be heard over the long haul by living and loving people just where they are, right? Take the time to build relationships. That's the best way to lead people to Christ in this generation, is to build relationships and let them see your life You know, some opportunities, number eight, some opportunities will be inconvenient. What do I mean? It means it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. It's going to take you out of your way. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant, and whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. In other words, you can always find an excuse, right? Not to bother with sharing your faith. And some conditions are going to be difficult, and they're going to be inconvenient. I want to look at the fascinating life of a gal, missionary named Evelyn Brand. Evelyn worked, in God, worked for God in India for seven years with her husband under extremely difficult conditions before they had a single convert. Seven years without a convert. But the story goes on. Then when she turned 50, her husband Jesse died. Rather than go back to England and do something else, being thankful for those years she'd put in, she kept at it all by herself. By the way, I'm just hitting highlights. If you ever have an opportunity to read her story, it is amazing. Evelyn Brand is her name. At the age of 70, she lost her missionary support. They said, you're too old. We're not going to support you anymore. But rather than quitting, she built a little shack. She bought a pony to travel from village to village. Then at the age of 75, she broke a hip, and her son thought, all right, now she's going to quit. But she didn't at 75. In fact, she continued to spread the love of Christ on horseback until she hit the age of 93 and could no longer ride. All those old guys back here, you're not too old to give your life to Jesus and to serve Jesus and use your life We're not too old. I keep telling myself that all the time. At 93, she was still determined to work for God, and she was carried from village to village by those who had come to love her so much. She finally passed to her reward two years later. So she served God until she was 95 years old, and the Lord took her home. Isn't that something? Now that's an inconvenient opportunity It makes me feel puny. Does it make you feel puny? You're not too old to share Jesus and some things are going to be difficult. Sometimes opportunities will interrupt our schedules, causing us to do things that are out of our way. Be willing. In verse six of Colossians four, it says, let your conversations be always full of grace. This is reminding us that how we say something is important as what we say how we say is what we say first peter 3:15 says put but in your hearts revere christ as lord always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect amen the point is you're never going to win a soul by trying to win an argument. Everybody catch that? They're never going to win a soul by trying to to win an argument. Avoid argument. Avoid controversy. And avoid trying to have an answer for everything. Just be real. Just be real and give your own testimony and always respond lovingly. Always respond lovingly. Number nine on our uh, handout is our lives must be consistent with our words. And this is so huge. You know the world is watching us as followers of Christ. There's no good strategy in trying to be a jerk for Jesus. You know some are. They're trying to be a jerk for Jesus and it's not a good strategy. It don't work. We have to be salt and light. That's what Jesus said. And we have to live what we say we believe. We have to be genuine. We have to listen to people. You know there's nothing worse and an angry, bitter, spiteful, philandering, dishonest, conniving person who then gets on their high horse and talks about their Christian faith. It doesn't, it doesn't work. There's nothing worth Hypocrites are easy for the world to spot. And hypocrites make terrible ambassadors for Jesus. Amen. So we don't misrepresent Christ by being one thing in our actions and another thing in our words. We all know that person, the person who doesn't really live it out, but they talk about it a lot. Don't be that person. And if you are, nobody expects uh, perfection. So if you mess up, fess up, right? And you mess up, fess up. None of us, none of us are perfect. But live out your words, earn the right to be heard as an ambassador for Christ. We're going to look at a, a three-step strategy, and this is how we'll, we'll end our, our message. Three-steps approach for, for sharing your faith. And I think you're going to find this to be very helpful on your, your ability to reach others. This is not original with me. I've added some stuff, but it's an it's effective way to do it. And number one is their story. So when you want to share with people, first of all, listen to their story ask them about their story you know everybody has a story they have a background they have a history they have things that they want that you if you know you can show interest in their spiritual life their concerns their needs you can pray for their needs you know that everybody just about everybody is receptive to prayer I've never had anybody say when I offer to pray for them no no even if they're not believers, they, they like to be prayed for. People like that. If you can meet their needs, then do that as well. Because then you'll show that you really care if you can meet their needs. Number two on the handout is your story. And this is back to the idea that no one can dispute your own testimony. You can tell about your journey. You can tell about your faith, walk with Jesus. And you can tell what following Jesus has meant in your life. Share your first-hand experience with God, with the power of the gospel. You can show this, but I'm going to show three things. The first one is number letter A on your handout, and that's what I was. That's your past. You can share your past, what you came from. Don't pretend that you've always been an angel, right? Don't pretend that because people know better. Now, even if you were uh, raised as a Christian, you can give God the glory by by uh, saying what God has kept you from, that God has kept you safe from so many consequences. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you follow the ways of the world. Now, without glorifying your past, which some people sometimes do, without glorifying your past when we're sharing Jesus, we can let people know that we've been imperfect. That we are imperfect, and it's only by God's grace that we stand before a perfect God. Amen. Letter B is what He has seen me through. This is so important. Especially for people who have been around for several decades and we've gone through a lot of stuff. Your experience of His presence and His grace, His love, that has been sufficient to see you through a whole list of trials, illnesses, and life experiences. Those are things. Here's something you might not realize, but, you know, we talked about trials this morning in Sunday school. The trials you go through life, the illness, the deaths of loved ones, the financial hardships, whatever it may be, those are the biggest proofs of the power of faith faith in your life. Those are the proofs. And you know what? Everybody in this world is going to go through all of those things. They're going to go through all those things. The difference is we get to go through it with Jesus. We get to go through it with the assurance that he is with us, and he will see us through. Everything in this world is temporary except our relationship with Jesus. You know, we often talk about stewarding our money or our time. I want to challenge you this morning that we need to steward our suffering. What does that mean? We use it for him. Don't squander it. Steward that. Use that as your platform. It's through our weaknesses and our trials and our problems, our hardships, that the Lord shows the value of our faith to the people around us and to ourselves. And that they need a Savior, just like we do. I'm going to talk about my thumb a little more. At the beginning of 2022, I started praying being how we were pretty new uh, to Alabama, and a lot, not a lot of people knew us, praying about a platform that God would use our our ministry, and uh, I prayed for a purpose and a platform and all of these things, and and then in February, like I told you, I had this terrible accident losing my thumb. When that happened in that horse trailer, I, we picked up the thumb, we got it in a bag, um, we took off driving, and I'm I'm thanking the Lord. I'm saying, thank you, Lord, that it's not these fingers, not these fingers. Little did I know all the suffering I was going to have to go through. Then we got to the stop sign and said, did somebody bring the thumb? Nobody brought the thumb. So we had to go back about a mile and get the thumb. Meanwhile, our granddaughter took a picture of it in the bag there, and she ran it out to the car. Then they ran us out to... Uh, to Baptist South Hospital because that's where they had a trauma center. And I sat in a hallway there for hours where they tried to figure out, will anybody try to sew this thumb back on? Then they put me on a helicopter. They flew me to Atlanta, and it was an hour's drive, hour's flight. So I got to fly in a helicopter, which is fun, but I'm still paying for it. But, uh, <laughs> um, and they sewed it on. It took five hours to sew it on. And when I woke up, it was it was alive. They had a heartbeat. They were listening for a heartbeat on it. And a sweet African-American uh, nurse that I had been talking to about the Lord. And she came and she laid hands on me at the end of her shift and prayed for me. And I was so blessed by her. And I'll never forget. Her name was Josie. And uh, then they put me in the uh intensive care for a couple of days and watched it as it slowly lost its um heartbeat they always try to put a thumb back on because you know your hand is useless without a thumb you try to pick up anything you can't even pull up your pants you can't do anything without a thumb and so they try to save it if they can but it didn't so they sent me home and then i I went home and uh we watched it die. They said, come back March 4th. So we watched it die, and it turned as black as this. I got to see what my body's going to look like as a, as a mummy, as a corpse. How many people get to do that, right? We watched, and of course, all this time, I was an extreme pain, and my hand was completely swollen up. But the, but the grace of God was there with me so much that I would weep with joy knowing and praying that God would use this as a platform. I, I had no uh, no doubt that I was going to be able to use this as a platform, but I did have doubt that I was ever going to be able to play again because my fingers were stuck. They wouldn't move. My hand wouldn't move. And so that's the kind of testimony that you have as well. There are things that have happened in your life that God can use that he wants to use as your platform. He wants to use the things that we go through because everybody is going to go through stuff. But we get to go through it with the Lord. If I had not known the Lord, there was a gal on Facebook that also had lost her thumb. And she said, I would give anything to have my thumb back. And I knew what she was, where she was coming from because it's so debilitating to not have your thumb Um. You just try to reach out and grab a, a book or something. You can't do it. But I, I wrote back to her and I said, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't take my thumb back for anything. She said she'd give anything. I said, I wouldn't take my thumb back for anything because I know that God is using it for his glory. He's using it to uh, lead people to Christ. He's using it to, in many, many ways. And uh, he brought my son and my grandson to live with us from Oregon because of that. And so we, we just thank God for the things. You know, you talked about count it all joy from James. We have a, we have a, a, a bad definition of joy that we, we try to filter that through. And really joy is really about uh, quiet confidence, That God is going to be with us and use us. That's a joy that's deeper than the pain. Deeper than the pain when we know the Lord. Your pain can be your platform as well. There's people that have gone through or are going through things that you've gone through. And you can use that as a way to, to lead them to Christ. To lead them to confidence in you. He will use our suffering for his glory and for his purposes. That was my prayer with this injury. Now, you can see that throughout the Bible. All the characters of the Bible suffered terribly. Every, every narrative in the Bible, they all had divine detours of pain. Just think of one, just Joseph. He spent 13 years in slavery and in prison. Imagine what that was like just, you'd pick any person, you'd pick Paul and all the trials he went through. And Paul says, I want my suffering to be used for your glory. You know, his power is made perfect in our weakness. His grace is sufficient for us regardless of what we're going through, even when our faith is weak. Once you earn that right to be heard, you can use those things you've been through as your story, your platform to help reach the lost. Here's a scripture that might mess with your theology a little bit. Galatians 4.13 says, As you know, Paul is talking here, and he says, As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached to you. Paul is saying the platform, the open door his ministry had to the Galatians was because he was sick. God used that. God used that. And he stewarded that suffering, that sickness for the glory of God. And we're reading the letters to Galatians all these years later as the church was established there. God wants you to steward your suffering for his glory. Let us see that we can share with people is, uh, what is my uh, eternal destiny? What is my eternal destiny? What's your hope? What's your hope that keeps you following Jesus even when you go through stuff? Remind people, and I'm reminding you right now, how brief life is and how long eternity is. Amen? Nothing else is as important as our relationship to God. The only thing that doesn't die or wear out is our relationship with God. I told you about my black thumb how it turned black. And that's the way all of our bodies and everything we own and all of our bank accounts and all of that is going to end up empty, dead. All we have is Jesus. All you have. The last thing, number three on your handout, is his story. His story. What What is Jesus's story? Once you've earned the right to be heard by your testimony, you can answer these questions, Who is Christ? What has he done for the benefit of humanity? Tell them how much God loves them, what He will do for them in this life and in eternity. Ephesians 2 chapter four, or verse four and five, says, "But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace. You have been saved. His story, when we talk about his story, what is his story? It's the story of unrelenting love for all of us who are lost, all of us who had no other hope. We could never be good enough on our own. And that's what much of the world is counting on. Well, I'm a pretty good person, but we can't be good enough for the standards of God. We need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us. The whole of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is the story of God's love for us. It's the story of Jesus coming into this world. I'm going to ask Pastor Cheryl to come this now. Another thing to remember when you're sharing with people is when all is said and done, we can do all the right things, we can say all the right things, but we have to remember that it's not our job to bring them to faith, it is the job of the Holy Spirit. You know that you can't be the Holy Spirit in anyone's life. Amen? You have to let the Holy Spirit do the work. And that's why it sometimes can take time. Because the Holy Spirit's not in a big hurry sometimes. But when you're actively, actively engaging and sharing your faith, don't put the pressure on yourself to be um, so good that you just see quick results all the time. We have to trust the Holy Spirit to do that we can, what we can't do and we need to pray. Sometimes we need to pray and pray for decades. Cheryl's grandpa on her mom's side lived in the world for many, many, many years, and his wife prayed for him for many, many, many years. And in his seventies, after he'd had a couple of heart attacks, he committed his heart to the Lord. And that's that's the, that's the power of sticking to it, sticking to it. Amen. Our job, be loving, be willing, be available to be used by him. How do we respond to a message like this? Can we just like shine it off and not not worry about it, not think about others or hope other people like the pastor is going to do all the work? Or maybe the younger people, that they'll do all the work. Here's what I suggest. First, that we confess our complacency. We can be complacent. I'm guilty of that. Jonah sat on the edge of Nineveh and complained to God that God didn't destroy people. God said, shouldn't I care about all those people that live in that city? Jonah cared more about the vine that grew up and then died, and he did about those people, and that's what God was trying to teach in that story, in that book. He wants us to not sit back and hope God wipes out people. He wants us to be reaching people. He wants us to be glorifying his mercy, how great his mercy is. Confess that we've had complacency, and next, acknowledge the command that we are Included in God's great commission to go. Next, we recognize the challenges that we may need to modify the way we say things, like I talked about earlier, to pre-Christians, so they don't, and how we love people so that they don't feel like outsiders and that they know that we want them in, our, in God's family. And lastly, we have to commit ourselves to being loving ambassadors to the save of our Savior. To the world. We need to be Jesus with skin on to people who don't know Jesus at all. This morning, before we go our separate ways, can we pray for boldness to put these strategies to work in our life? I want us to sing another old hymn. Take my life and let it be consecrated Lord to Thee. That's another prayer. We started out with a prayer this morning. We want to be deeper. But we also want to know that we want the Lord to know that we are willing. That we, are, that we want to share with, with those who are lost, who, who are needy. Can we, can we stand us together this morning? I know you've been sitting for a while. And we're going to sing just two verses of, of this song. Take my life and
1: let it be. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be Swift and beautiful for thee. Swift and beautiful for thee. And I was just thinking,
2: I, I've never thought of this with this song when it says, Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. The Word of God says, How beautiful. Beautiful. How lovely are the feet of them that bring good news. Wow. You want your feet to be the beautiful feet that bring the good news, the hands that love and embrace people just the way they are. Would you bow your hearts and your heads right now? I just want to challenge you with just a couple things as we close. if you're breathing I truly believe you're going through life can I get a nod is anybody going through life right now just anybody and life has challenges life has suffering life has questions life has disappointments life presents an opportunity to be worried or fearful or anxious Or doubtful. But we've sung about this God of grace that wants to pour and cover you right now to overflowing confidence in Him that you can surrender the suffering. You can surrender the worry. You can surrender, surrender it all. Take my life, take it all and if you really mean that he already knows because he knows everything about us but if you really mean that today i believe this is a monumental day we got one sermon one opportunity on one day and it's today to bring this challenge to you those of you listening now or maybe later you're included in that holy spirit is talking to us do we have ears to hear Do we go away and forget, or do we take to heart? This is the word of Almighty God. He's speaking today to you and me. Surrender, surrender. Don't just go to the altar and say, I surrender all, and pick it back up and go out this door. He says, let go of it. Take my yoke. It's easy. It's light. The burden isn't heavy. You've been trying to carry it. Surrender it today let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable because it's out of the heart that the mouth speaks and your neighbor, your sister, your brother, your co-worker the student, the teacher, the parent, the child they need to see the love of Jesus oozing out of you they need to smell the fragrance the aroma of Christ when you walk in the room it's a real thing can I tell you folks the aroma is it's I'll tell you what the aroma is it attracts you have you ever walked by someone you're like man what is that perfume what is that cologne that is a good smell and you've also walked by somebody and it's a not good smell and what does it do it repels you it repulses you it makes you go in the other direction which are you wearing today the fragrance of the Most High God that attracts people? Or are your actions not lining up with your words and it actually repulses people? They're two-faced. You shut that door at home and what's going on in that home does not glorify the Most High God. And I'm sorry if your roast is burning right now, but this is God's time. Not mine and not yours. It's his and he's going to get it. Okay? Beloved, I'm sorry if you're feeling hunger pains. He's saying I'd rather that you hunger for more of me than you go get your burger and fries by 1230. We only get this chance one time, beloved. Beloved, don't away and not allow the spirit of the living God to mold you and make you his ambassador so first challenge is you surrender like you've never surrendered before and if you need a bow and knee uh, you, know, you know what the altar is for can I just you may have wondered what's the altar for it's to be altered if you need to be altered you know come get altered I am there I am there, I'm being altered right now by the Most High God. Final challenge is pray that your heart would, in fact, line up with your mouth and vice versa. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. And it matters the tone. They can see it, you guys, if we're going to say it in a condescending way, they can read that. The people that you're trying to witness to, if you have a judgmental attitude, that's that colo—that's that scent that repulses and pushes them away. Just accept them where they're at. And let your heart line up with the Most High God's heart so that the words that come out would be His love for them. Can you agree with me for that?
0: What is it that that makes and motivates us is this to share is the same thing that motivated the Lord to give his heart and life for us to shed his blood for us and that is his love. That agape love, the love that we can't understand. We need that agape love to be able to share with our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones and to care enough about their eternal condition. We're going to play a, an old hymn, The Love of God. And if, if you want to make a, a greater dedication this morning to using that love of God to reach others and you feel that conviction, I want you to come down to the altar this morning. As we're playing... And ask God to give you the love it takes for you to do what he wants you to do. We're going to open the altars and um, play this song. And you might be here and, and you came in feeling like an outsider. And maybe you want to come and surrender your heart to Jesus this morning. You've heard the gospel. We want that opportunity to not pass for you. We want you to come down and pray with someone here in front to accept the Lord and to make a new change in your life a directional change a real God-centered change in salvation we're going to play this song we're going to let you do what God leads you to do